Hello and welcome back to the Pulp Diction Podcast. In record time, we're going to have uh, Nick Young on to uh, respond to some of the things I talked about on Friday about the NBA and about the NBA playoffs. What's up, Nick? Not a lot, Zach. Good to be back. It's been too long. It has been too long. Um, yeah, I think, so at the end of my other pod, I was like, yo, if, uh, if you guys like the solo format, text me, or if you don't, text me. And you're the only one who responded. So perhaps that's instructive that no one will now be listening to this pod beside us. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I think uh, I think I think we have a faithful audience of some kind, and if not, they're lost. I have a I would say I have a faithful yet passive audience. audience <laughs> but all right, let's uh, let's do it. So because you weren't here last time, you didn't get to respond to my take about the Lakers, which basically was, you know. LeBron's not done. He's I, he can still be the centerpiece of a finals team, and in fact, especially looking at the superstar landscape, I don't think you need to add superstars to this team necessarily to create a finals team out of this Lakers team. What I think you actually have to do is add good players. Like they played a lot of bad players, and they should play a better style to fit LeBron than Luke Walton's go-go style. When I would really be crawling with LeBron. Uh, your thoughts. Well, I think you're exactly right that the the idea that the only way for LeBron to get back to the finals is to um, acquire someone like an Anthony Davis to be like a co-superstar with LeBron. And I think that that model has worked for LeBron in the past, but I think that just the way the NBA is laid out now, there's always going to be someone who can do that better, who can put more superstars together so long as Golden State is who they are. Now, that might not be the case next year, but I think that the more reliable way to build a team is to take, like, the Milwaukee Bucks model, which you pointed out, which is you've got a, you know, transcendent superstar player like LeBron who can, you know, put a team on his back and score 15 points in a fourth quarter um, and just surround him with good basketball players that complement his style. So I've I've been beating this drum for a little while, and I haven't been able to to share it on this pod, but... I think that Mike Conley and Nikola Vucevic would be the perfect partners for LeBron. Um, Mike Conley is pretty self-evident. He is uh, he can give you a lot of what Kyrie Irving gave you, which is you know um, being a secondary like star player essentially, like going and getting shots, uh, facilitating an offense, uh, knocking down threes when he's open, and you know I think that what Conley gives you that Irving doesn't is honestly just like a steadier hand on the wheel kind of emotionally, like as a, as a leader in a locker room um, and as someone who can kind of be a galvanizing presence next to LeBron, which I think is pretty rare these days. Because um, if you're making a list of people who are so professional and so um, respected in the league that like, you know, LeBron can, can do his like subtweeting thing and they just won't be phased, I think it's a pretty short list and Mike Conley is near the top. Uh, and Vucevic, I've watched a lot of this year because I've actually been pretty fascinated with the Magic. And I'll tell you, he reminds me a lot of Memphis and, like, Lakers Pau Gasol. Like, really big guy with very, very fluid offensive skills. He's added a three-point shot, which Pau never had. Um, he's not going to give you the same, like, amazing passing that Pau did. But I think as far as, like, a third fiddle, um, able to score in a lot of places, able to do you know, fine defensively, Vucevic is, uh, 
totally above, you know, market value. Um, so I think if you take a core of Conley, LeBron, Vucevic, and also, I mean, this is perhaps the bigger point, is you don't have to give up your whole war chest to get those guys. Yeah. You can get them cheap. They were ready to trade Conley for Rubio basically straight up, you know, with, a, with like, some draft pick. Yeah. So, like, you know, you can get them on the cheap, you can build that roster, keep two of Ingram, Lonzo, and Kuzma. You probably have to lose Josh Hart, which sucks. But, like, you know, let's say you choose um, Ingram and Kuzma and dump ball, although I know you like him. You could really do it however you want to do it. But, like, two great quality young prospects, LeBron, Conley, Vooch, and then you add someone like Marcus Morris to round it out, a quality vet who can give you 15 points um, and play solid defense. And all of a sudden, that team feels very, very competitive for me in the West. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think Conley is such a good fit with LeBron. You talk about someone who's just an adult and someone who's like, like I think a lot of the tension in LeBron's career has been, I don't have enough adults around me that are still really good. Um, you know, in Miami, it was just Bosch and Wade. And then, you know, in Cleveland, he was kind of waiting for Kevin Love to be that guy while Kyrie grew up and Kevin Love really never was. Um, and I think, you know, this year he kind of expected Rondo to be that, but Rondo is just Rondo at this point. Like, he's not, it's not 2010. So I totally agree with you about Conley. He can hit shots off ball. He can run offense when LeBron's not out there. He's an adult. He's got no ego. Great choice. Vucevic is interesting. Um, My concern for him would be that this year is a blip, and then I'm paying a lot for someone who's going to get run off the court in a finals game. Uh, But to me, it's like like that Vucevic spot is nice. Like, sure, hope he's good. To me, it's going to be like, okay, can I go four through eight guys in this team, and they're going to be good? Because even if they trade everyone for Davis, and they roll out LeBron, Davis, you know, Stevenson, uh... Rondo and Caldwell Pope, like that's a bad team because it has three bad players on it. Um, and you know that we're gonna get to this later, but like basketball right now is very good at picking out the worst player on a team and attacking it. That's why Melo's not on a good team right now. And like, if you put out three bad guys, like you're just gonna get destroyed. Yeah. Um. All right. So that's the Lakers. Let's talk quickly, because we don't have you for very long, about um, your favorite potential playoff matchup. So just to give you the rundown of the playoffs right now, uh, in the East, we're looking at Bucks, Raptors, 1-2, Sixers, Pacers, Celtics, all kind of clumped together. We'll say for the sake of argument that the Pacers stay in the 4 or 5 seed and play the Celtics, Sixers third, Raptors second, Bucks first. And then in the West, it's... Warriors, Nuggets, 1-2, Rockets, 3, Thunder, 4, Blazers, 5, Jazz, 6. But that 3 through 6 is just a clump. And then the Spurs kind of right there in the 7, and the Clippers right there in kind of the 8. Really on par with the Jazz, actually. So some flexibility there, but those seem like the 8 teams. Um, And, you know, 3 through 8 might shake up a bit, but that's what we're looking at out West and East. So, Nick, what is the round 1 matchup? Or it could be later than round 1. What's the matchup you really want? Well, I would say, first of all, the East in the second round is going to be a bloodbath, and it's going to be fantastic, because um, only two of Milwaukee, Toronto, Philadelphia, and Boston will advance, and if that. I mean, it, it's, it's p- possible that Detroit could beat 
Philadelphia in the first round. I could see that. So I guess in the East in the first round, that's the matchup I'm most interested in. I think, like, the Pacers are really good and they might hang on to the four spot. I kind of think they're going to drop to the five before the season's out. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that just in a playoff series, when you have so much time to plan for an offense that really is basically Sabonis at this point, like... You know, I guess you kind of have some some frisky stuff happening from Tyreek Evans and you know Bogdan, but like, you know, it, it's just it's just not the same team without Victor Oladipo, and I don't see them, you know, being a super super hard playoff out for someone like the Celtics. Now the Pistons, on the other hand, they have played some of the best basketball post All Star break. They're eight and two over their last ten, and I'll tell you, Blake Griffin is really playing amazing. Just like whenever he gets the ball on offense, either he's getting double teamed and somebody's getting an open three, or you know he's roasting somebody one on one. So, I mean, I just I think that Philadelphia's got a ton of um, a ton of like star power at the top and will be really hard to beat. But I'd be excited to watch Detroit give it their best shot. So I'm so with you on this uh, Detroit Pistons angle, or Pistons Blake angle. And, you know, I, I meant to bring this up in the first pod, um, I think in parallel to the MVP discussion, but also kind of just to give Blake Griffin a shout out. So, yeah, it's not a great Lakers season, but here are LeBron's numbers. He's at, you know, 51% shooting for the year, 35% from three on six attempts, 27 points, eight and a half rebounds, eight assists. Blake Griffin... Which is amazing. Which is, yeah, incredible. Blake Griffin... Um, 47% from the field, 36% from three on seven attempts, 25 points a game, eight rebounds, five and a half assists. So he's a little short of LeBron right now. Um, and, you know, with I, I promise he's playing harder on defense than LeBron right now. Yes. So I, it's not fair to compare the two, obviously, but it kind of is. And if Blake's going to play like that, he's right up there with Kawhi and um, Joel Embiid is the second best player in the East. Sure. So, you know, I, I like your call because that Philly team's a little weird. Yeah. Um, and the Pistons are really clicking. And, you know, Drummond's a big boy. He can kind of bang with Embiid. Um, they have a great rivalry, too. That's Simmons-Griffin to is a fun matchup. Um, I mean, I think Embiid kind of owns Drummond. But, <laughs> you know, at least, you know, he's in the way. So, yeah, I kind of, I'm with you on that. I think that's going to be a fun one. Um, I mean, anything in that kind of three through six, two through eight range uh, in the Western Conference is going to be fun. Yeah. Keep an eye on um, Spurs Nuggets. So everyone kind of talks about the Spurs being like these emperors of the mid-range and this dated offense. But if you actually look at the stats, they're the fourth best offense this year, Um, you know, in terms of efficiency. They've just been a bad defensive team. Uh, Or not bad, just like middling. So if you compare that with the fact that you know, Denver's not going to light it up defensively. San Antonio should be able to score with Denver. Um, and you've just got a lot of experience in the San Antonio side, a lot of inexperience in the Denver side. I First think that could be series. that could be a really fun 2-7 matchup that I could see the 7 pulling off. Um, classic Spurs, no one's talked about them for six months, but I could see them doing that. And then in the second round, I really think the the East is going to be super fun. I mean... Thunder Warriors is always fun because of um, the Russ and KD thing and just kind of all the history they have. 
but, you know, it could be Rockets, Golden State in the second round. It could be, you know, basically whoever Golden State draws, if it's not like the Jazz or the Spurs, I think it would be really fun. But out east, this is the series I wanted to highlight, and I know I mentioned two others. I think the Celtics-Bucks round two series is going to be exquisite. Yeah. And I think, yeah, the Celtics have been weird and up and down this year, but I think in a playoff setting, um, especially after what Brad Stevens showed they could do to a guy in Ben Simmons, who is kind of a similar guy to game plan against as Giannis. Um, Giannis has a lot more going in the half court. And is a lot more of just an animal on the boards, but um, you know, I think they could do. I think they know how to guard him. I mean, I, I would say I don't think anybody can guard Giannis, but I think that the Celtics will do as good a chance as anybody, or has as good a chance as anybody. Yeah. Anyway, I just think that's going to be a great. I think putting the Celtics in an underdog situation might really galvanize them. For sure. And at the same time, I think Milwaukee's the best team in the league right now. So I think that'd be a fantastic series. And I think it's one where if Milwaukee goes through that in five, like, I think I would bet on them to win the finals at that point. Yeah. Like, at that point, like, I don't think what the Warriors are going to throw at them is that much different. Yeah. Um, although, don't, don't undercount uh, the Eastern Conference final with Toronto if they both get there. Yeah. Like, I, I think that that will be an exquisite game, too, because I think Kawhi is a really good guy to, to stick on Giannis, as is Siakam for a little while. And I think that Toronto, like, the pieces don't seem like they quite fit well enough to beat the Bucks, but I think that, like, it would be in just a fantastic Eastern Conference final. So I don't think he, uh, Kawhi can cover Giannis. Not for a whole game, no. But I think in spurts. I just think, like, Giannis would just take him in the post, and, like, Giannis is just way bigger and stronger. Giannis is, like... Seven feet, yoked, high effort all the time. Kawhi is like six eight, skill perimeter defender. Well, this is this is what I'm this is what I said when I made the you know I don't think anybody can really guard Giannis. I don't think that there is anybody in the league right now who's like oh yeah that guy's a Giannis stopper. He's just too strong, too fast, um, too big. But like like I think you put Marcus on him and you just double down or Ibaka. I think you need someone bigger. Yeah, I mean it'll be interesting to see what they do. But I, I would just point to and I mean. Giannis is bigger than LeBron was at the time, but, I mean, Kawhi had his, like, most famous moment as an NBA player guarding LeBron in a finals, and I think that's a pretty similar blueprint just in terms of, like, somebody that big and that strong who can really, who, who scores so well off the drive. But, I mean, you're absolutely right. Like, he's, he is too small to, ha- to, like, bang with Giannis for a whole game. There's a big difference between 6'8 and 7 feet. Uh-huh. LeBron is 6'8, Kawhi is 6'8. Giannis is seven feet. And, like, at a certain point, and I think you see this a little bit when Kawhi covers Durant. Like, he does a great job. He's in his grill. Durant can shoot over still. Mm -hmm. And Giannis doesn't shoot over. He dunks over. But, (laughs) like, I'd I'd be really concerned. I'd probably rather, if I'm going to guard Giannis, help off some shooters like Bledsoe and... You know, I guess you got to live with some, like, Ersan Eliasova, you know, getting some looks. But I think you help off who you can live helping off. You stick Marcus All or Ibaka or maybe Pascal on him, and you just help down, and you really hope that you can hang. But let's let's pause for a second and just note the, the, box, the, the Bucks roster construction for a second. They're, they're a team that complements Giannis about as well as it's possible to complement Giannis. Exactly. So, like... 
I love Malcolm Brogdon. I think he's super underrated. The guy is basically a 50-40-90 shooter, which is unbelievable that no one talks about that out of him. I think he had a streak of, like, not missing a free throw for, like, 100 attempts or something crazy like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's great. Uh, they got Miritich, who is capable of getting hot and scoring, like, 40 in a game. Brooke Lopez has been the most surprising three-point shooter in the league. You know, Ilyasova hits threes. Like, that's four quality shooters who you can just space the floor with Giannis. And that's not even talking about Eric Bledsoe, who is such a, you know, such a demon in transition. Like, they can simultaneously, you know, give Giannis the space to play his inside game while, while sending him with people who are really good for, for his transition buckets. And, you know, Bud, Coach, coach Budenizer, is, is a great one to sort of, like, organize the whole thing. So yeah, he's an excellent coach. I, I love the Bucks. I think that they're so fun, so well constructed, and I'm really excited for them to give Golden State a good run because I'm definitely picking them to come out of the East. Yeah. Um, so if you look at their their lineups, let's just take the Philly game. Um, they beat Philadelphia like maybe a week ago. I oh, know this looks like it was a very long time ago. Well, I can't pull up the right game. Um, hold up. So. Like, we've talked, I want to just kind of go person by person, because we've talked a bunch about, across these pods, about how they kind of set themselves up with the really good people around Giannis. So they'll start with Giannis, Middleton, who's like a big-ass wing who can rip shots. Oh, I didn't even mention Middleton. How Lopez, crazy is that? Lopez, who's a center who can rip shots. Bledsoe, who's probably the shakiest shooter in their rotation, but really good athlete, really good defender, and who's been making some threes this year. Like, he's... It's not a great outcome for him to take a three. Brogdon, who, as you said, is 54 to 90. And then off the bench, they'll bring in Snell, who's only good at shooting, but, I mean, still, he'll make open threes. Miritich, who rips threes and has some playoff experience and who can score over smaller guys. Connaughton, who I don't think is a good player but shoots well. DiVincenzo, who's young but has the potential to shoot well. And then Powell, who can credibly make a corner three. Um, and I think Ilya Sova will also get some minutes for this team. And potentially George Hill if they're back healthy. But really, every single guy on the roster, top to bottom, makes threes. Um, And I think, besides Giannis. And I think that's the whole point, right? Like, why have someone who can't around Giannis? Yeah. And you compare that to the Lakers roster, there's like eight guys who are shaky shooters. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that's going to be a great matchup. And, you know, with the Raptors, that'd be fun. I don't know. We'll see. Can we swing back to the West for a quick second? Yeah, yeah. So... I'm actually really excited to see what happens to the Jazz um, in the playoffs because they they fascinate me. Um, I'm a big Joe Ingles fan, big Donovan Mitchell fan. Um, and as we pointed out, like, Rudy Gobert is such a great regular season player, but in the postseason, you know, seems to, like, a team like Houston, mm-hmm. where they'll just put him in a high pick and roll with Harden and Capella, just, like, eviscerates him. I'm, I feel like like Utah has the talent to take another leap. And you see that sometimes like there are games where Donovan Mitchell is, you know, gunning for near 40 and he's playing like a young D Wade and, you know, the ball is moving and they're, and they're so good at perimeter defense too. Like that's really one of their calling cards um, is really hounding the three point line. So I, I am excited to see what they can do. I don't feel like they're going to be an easy out and I think if they get a favorable matchup like the Thunder, I mean, we we talked about this a lot last year, how, like, Gobert is a perfect Russell Westbrook antidote. But, you know, 
I, I, I want to see what Donovan Mitchell, what Joe Ingles, and I mean, honestly, even Derek Favors is playing really well. I want to see what this team can do in their second real go in the playoffs. Because last year, uh, I think they won their first their first round, Last right? year, they drew the Thunder, and we did a pod, and I was like, they're going to win because yeah. Gobert will plant his ass at the rim, and Russell Westbrook will run into him and get swatted. Yeah. And, you know, with the way the 3-6 through six is stacked up right now, um, Utah's like two back of Portland at five, uh, but three through five, Houston, OKC, Portland, it could be any of those teams. Yeah, we really don't know what the West is going to look like. We yet. we don't at all. Um, I it kind of looks to me, if I had to guess, that Utah will kind of fall below the Portland OKC Rockets trio. That the Rockets will keep a three seed, and I mean, here's where I stop being interested in the Jazz. They're like the 18th best offense in the league. Um, you know, I think they're in between Brooklyn and Sacramento. Mm-hmm. So, like, not a great offense. Like, Brooklyn's offense is pretty much like D'Angelo Russell and some drive and kick. And Sacramento's entire team are young guys. Um, so, not a very inspiring offense. And they're the third best defense. But if I'm just going to, if I'm the Rockets, I'm just putting Rudy Gobert in high screen after high screen. I don't think they'll play like the third best defense. Um, so I think there's a real potential there for them to get kind of worked in the series. And I like Mitchell, um, for what he is. And that's a guy who can get you 25 pretty inefficiently. Um, and you know, at a certain point, like that's just going to be their ceiling. And I, you know, I would love to see, I think favors is actually in some matchups, the better player than Gobert, um, spicy take. And I would love to see them if Gobert gets put in high pick and roll and he's getting toasted. Run with favors. No, I, I agree. And I, and I think I think the real question with the Jazz, and this is sort of the crux of why I'm interested in them, is that as presently construed, if they just play you know, their regular season selves, they're going to lose in the first round, um, most likely. But I think that they have another gear, which I've seen them hit from time to time. Like Joe Ingles, in you know some games, has out... Like, he's been in games with Paul George and outplayed him. And like... You know, if if they can, if if Mitchell can get you that twenty five to thirty and do it efficiently rather than inefficiently, which I, he has had nights where he can do, um, you know, and there are some like great Ricky Rubio nights. And, I know, and but but like any of these guys could go for eight points in a game. True, and I and I think like that very like, realistically, the the very like they probably just looking at these playoff teams, they're to me the highest variance playoff team, and and that is interesting to me as just a fan and someone who enjoys the game is, you know, which Utah jazz are we going to get tonight? And I think there's a world out there where Donovan Mitchell takes that next step, uh, into really becoming like, you know, an all-star, like in the conversation for top, you know, for all NBA kind of player, or, I mean, maybe he's just an inefficient guy who will always be, um, who will sort of be like a, you know, poor man's dame who is not, you know, who's very good at getting you 25 every night, but his team is never going to get out of the second round. So the thing about Mitchell, I think he got a lot of praise last year just because he was taking the highest degree difficulty shots in the league, you know, as a rookie, which is really impressive. Um, But if you kind of look at what you've got from him, so last year he gave the Jazz 21 points a game on 44% shooting, 34% from three, got the line four times, um, and, you know, like, a couple rebounds, a couple assists. So, like, 
yeah, he was good, but he's not like good, good. You know what I mean? Like he was solid. And those numbers were a lot bigger toward the end of the year when he was really carrying it. But you're not getting high efficiency. I mean, we're killing Russell Westbrook for shooting these percentages right now. I mean, he's shooting a little, Mitchell's a little better, but still. And then this year, you've got 23 and a half points a game on 42% shooting, 33% from three, and five free throws a game, four assists, four rebounds. So, like, he's kind of the same guy, and, like, he'll get better, and I think if he ever gets his three-pointers up to 38 39%, and guys start guarding him harder out there, it's a different story, but if he's not going to rip threes at a high percentage and he's not going to get to the line a bunch, he's not going to be an efficient scorer. And I know a lot of his percentages are hurt because he's the guy who has to jack shots up at the end of the shot clock. And they're a meticulous team, so that happens a lot. But, I mean, that's that's not good. I don't want to tie my playoff hopes to a guy shooting 42%, not getting to the line, and not hitting threes. Yeah. I mean, and for sure. And I think that, like, what what that says is that over the course of a season, you know, his amazing games get really blurred with his um, with his mediocre games. And I would just, you know, he also turns the ball over a lot, which is a problem. But, like, I just see <laughs> <Great>. some games. <laughs> yeah, I just see some games where, like, I mean, last night, or no, no, this was on, this was on March 8th. He went for 38 with five made threes on, five, on 500% shooting. So, like... It's in there. It is. It is in his DNA to have an amazing, efficient game. Um, and I think that just the real question of his career is: Is he going to be like? Is he always going to be subject to like a you know forty-four uh, percent field goal percentage, or can he get a little closer to to fifty? Or just can he get to the line ten times? If he's at the line ten times a game, I'm cool with it because yeah. those are such efficient points. Yeah. But and- the game line five times a game is just not that much. Yeah, and I mean the game where he scored thirty eight on the eighth, he was he made nine free throws, and the game where he scored forty six on March second against Milwaukee, uh, he made eleven free throws. So you're yeah. absolutely right. Um, so let's we don't have a lot of time. So all right, um, who are your Western Conference finalists and who are your Eastern Conference finalists? Mine are um, I'm going to go Milwaukee, Toronto. Um, I think, I think the Sixers are flawed. I think there's real holes in that boat, and I don't trust Brett Brown to manage a playoff series. Uh, I think the Raptors are really solid. I think the Bucks are like an amazing team, and I think they're really going to start flexing. Yeah, I I agree. Those are those are my Eastern Conference Finals teams too. And then Western, I'll take Golden State through. And I think. I mean, what I'd love to see is a Golden State someone matchup and then OKC-Houston to see who gets to play them in the conference finals. And Houston's looked really good recently. Yeah. And OKC hasn't. Um, And I think Houston's probably the scarier option versus the Warriors just because Paul George's shoulder is a question mark. And I don't, even if he's playing how he was playing before, that team is still going to trot out some bad players. (laughs) <laughs> you know, that's your one advantage over Golden State, I think, is that Golden State's going to play about four bad guys a game, and you just got to kill those people. Yeah. Um, and I don't think they can do that. Whereas the Rockets, even though they'll start some weird players, they can all kind of shoot and defend. And Harden and Paul will just have to cook, like, the McKinsey's. Like, I don't even know these people's names. Like, they play, like, the Warriors just play, like, bizarre people. Yeah. Um, but anyway, what do you see out west? Um, I... 
Well, so first of all, I think that I think that either Houston or the Thunder is going to get sucked into the Golden State side of the bracket. So I, I think that they're going to play them in round two, one of those teams. That's true, actually. There's um, no way they both pass the Yeah, because they both have to pass the Nuggets. Um, which is why I'm picking the Nuggets to to meet the Golden State Warriors in the Western really? Conference Finals. I think they could go out in the first round. That's fantastic. Great. What? Uh, um, what why? Well, so I've, I've watched a lot of Nuggets this year. And I think that what's crazy about them is they still haven't hit their full potential, even for this season, with like, you know, Jamal Murray and Gary Harris, where their skills are at right now, not even like thinking about the future and their development. They haven't been the best version of like the 2018-19 uh, Nuggets, and they still have a lot of like runway to land that plane. Yeah, Gary Harris is an incredible player, and for all the... I talked about this last time. He hasn't been a thing at all this year. Yeah. And he's really good, and it's just sad because he's had, like, eight lower body muscle injuries, and I just hope he's healthy for the playoffs. Yeah, me too. And, and I mean, but also, like, we haven't even mentioned, you know, Will Barton, who's really fucking good, and, um, you know, I don't, I don't count on a lot from Isaiah. I think that he's one of those guys where he, you know, he'll be the cherry on the top for this team, like... You know, if he can if he can give you some productive minutes uh, against the opposing team's bench, then you're in really good shape. But like, Denver is really deep, and I think that nobody really appreciates exactly how deep they are because they can trot out a starting lineup of Murray, Harris, Barton, Millsap, Jokic, which is a great lineup, and they really haven't even played that much together in this regular season. But then off the bench. They can get Juancho Hernan Gomez, who's good. I would not lead with him, but yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they have Malik Beasley, Monte Morris, Torrey Craig, Hernan Gomez, Isaiah Thomas, Mason Plumley, And that's 11 guys. That's yeah. more than they need. Exactly. And all of those bench guys can contribute. Yeah, they're all so, good players. So, like, that bench against whatever, like... I mean, forget about Golden State for a second, but, like, you know, talk about the Blazers or, you know, who's coming off the Spurs bench or the Clippers bench, like... Like, this is, this is one of the best benches in the NBA, and they really, like, all of those guys in that bench have had their moments as starters, you know? Um, so I think that they're, they're ready to go. And this is my, my, what I see out West is I think the Nuggets, you know, win um, their first round, you know, in six, win their second round, you know, in six or seven, and it's really close back and forth. Um, you know, they get punched in the mouth a couple times. And then eventually they lose the Golden State Warriors um, in the Western Conference Finals because they're just still a little too young, a little too inexperienced to get past them. But it's a really, really well-constructed roster that can play offense and defense really well. Um, and they, they, they can just get... They have that amazing trait um, that you just love to see in an NBA team where they can score in like a bazillion different ways. Yeah. They, they can score with a, you know, with a Jokic-Murray pick-and-roll... They can score, you know, posting people up. They can score with pace and space. Um, and they just they just have a bunch of guys who, who play really high-quality basketball, and I think the world of them. So I really love what they've done this year, and I campaigned in my previous pod for Jokic as the third-best player this year, full stop. Um, that being said... I think they have a number of holes uh, as a playoff team. Um, one is I think defensively, Jokic is going to get called into pick and roll after pick and roll after pick and roll. And if they try and run that stupid Mason Plumley Jokic lineup, that thing's going to get run off the court. Um, and also defensively, I think they lack a big wing defender in a big way. 
all the guys you listed are either like bigs who are like 6'10 and up or like Millsap who's kind of slow or our smalls who are like 6'4 and down. And, you know, you go against Paul George, you go against Harden, you go against Lillard. It's harder for those guys to be those guys with bigger, fast people on them. Someone like Paul George can totally just blanket Lillard shot. And they don't have anyone like that. So I think against, you know, Westbrook, Lillard, and Harden, that's going to be a real problem. Also, offensively, as much as I love Jokic and think he's a fantastic offensive talent, I, I'm so out on Jamal Murray. And just, I can so see him going 7 for 26 in a big game. And he thinks he's the best player on the team. That's what makes him who he is. That's not useful when you're a favorite and the underdog is gunning for you and he's like, I got this, and like pulls up from 20. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Jokic is the kind of guy who's going to be like, I need 25 shots, go away. And he's going to be setting him up for these. Yeah. Well, that's definitely the blueprint to beat the Nuggets. You know, they, they have been beaten quite a lot in that exact way. Um, you know, Golden State, like they're the, the biggest game the Nuggets have played recently was they, they had Golden State. Um, and got absolutely, like, waxed in the first half, and you really could sort of see, like... I mean, the Nuggets came back because their bench was so good and, like, really outplayed um, really outplayed the Golden State bench. So I think that that will keep them alive um, even when the starting unit falters. Like, what was interesting in the Golden State game is, like, Jokic and Murray didn't come back in until, like, three minutes to go in the second. Like, they stuck with, with like, Monty Morris and Mason Plumlee and, like, Wancho and them because they were playing so, so well. So, I mean, it's helpful when you when you have that kind of depth. And I guess I feel like, you know, like, like I was saying at the, at the beginning, like, I think that Gary Harris and Jamal Murray have another gear. Um, Gary Harris does. I'm, I'm kind of out on Jamal. Well, I, Did I, you read the Jackie McMillan piece on him? Yeah. Fascinating stuff. So... That was such like a deep psychological dive, and it was so interesting. And I just came away from it thinking that Jamal Murray is fucking crazy, yeah. And that like that's not he's not like good crazy or like manageable crazy. He's like pretending to be even keel, like low key crazy, which is a dangerous kind of crazy. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so I was like frightened from that, and was also like I like it makes sense now that this guy just will chuck terrible shots all game. Yeah. Well. I, th- I think that the best version of Jamal Murray is for for right now until his skills around and if his skills can can take another step up. But you know he'll have games where he'll play like thirty ish minutes, shoot about fifty percent, make a couple threes, score about twenty points, um, you know, and be solid defensively, but not great. I mean, his A game is obscene. Yeah, like his like if he's hot and this happens like maybe four or five times a year. But if that happens in the playoffs, like, they're winning that game. Like, yeah. he'll just go for 50. Like, his A game is incredible. It's just that he always thinks it's his A game. Yeah. And it's not. Well, that'll be that'll be the real question, you know, um, that, the, that this playoffs will really expose is, you know, the Nuggets have played better when Jamal Murray has basically only played, like, 20 minutes. Yeah. I would, like, I love Monty Morris. I think he's a perfect guy to roll out there. Um, yeah. And I think if Murray doesn't have it, Especially because Jokic can play make like uh, he doesn't need to play in a second half for me if he's going to come out in the first and shoot one of nine. Yeah. Um. So I mean, I'm 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 fascinated. Like I think that, uh, and and it's going to really be interesting what what Mike Malone does because like you could see Jamal Murray burning this down and him and like Malone thinking to himself, you know what, 
like th this moment is more important than Jamal Murray's development, get him out of here. And like, that'll create a lot of, you know, headaches down the road. Or he could be like, you know, this team, we're really focused on, you know, being a contender in, you know, 2020 and in 2021. And like, Jamal taking a bunch of bad shots and figuring it out the hard way is is worth it in the long run. If they make that decision, I agree they could lose in the first round. But like, yeah, I just I, I think that with that bench, with the amount of guys who he could call in, like, if Mike Malone wants to win, they can win. Can I make one quick Nuggets point and then we got to move on? Sure. And then we should probably wrap for Yeah. Um, I just want to remind everyone that Mike Malone is the same guy who had Nurkic and Jokic on his team and was convinced that Nurkic was better. And then they were, like, not good that year. And then Jokic balled out over the summer, comes in, like, ready to have this peak season, then gets buried behind Nurkic for three months before Malone's like, oh, and then they trade Nurkic, and Jokic takes off. So I don't have confidence in Mike Malone to make good decisions. He watched Jokic play in practice for a year and a half and was like, eh. <laughs> Not that Nurkic is bad. Yeah. Nurkic is good. I just, like, to me, that's so damning. That and the Mason Plumlee-Jokic minutes together just are going to finish me. But, um, okay, let's go quickly because you got to go. So I have a Bucks warriors finals. You Do you have the Raptors? No, I have Bucks warriors too. I think the Bucks win that series. I think the Warriors are not winning the title this year. I was close to that point in the last pod, and I'm, I'm there now. Um... I desperately want to agree with you because I would love nothing more than to see Giannis uh, reign supreme and dethrone this what's happening in Golden State. But, like, I watched that Nuggets game when they went supernova in the first half and then again in the third. Um, and as I think it'll be a, a hell of a series. Don't get me wrong. I think it's not... I think it's going to be really close. I think they'll give them the, probably the best fight uh, since, you know, the Cavs in 2016. But I just think that when Golden State hits their, like, nuclear level, where KD's hitting, Steph's hitting, Clay's hitting, and, like, you know, Draymond is facilitating and, and, uh, and Boogie is, is giving you valuable stuff too, that's, I think, still a level that the Bucks can't quite match. So I, the Warriors are a better team in terms of, like, if everyone was trying the same amount and, like, you just, you know, like, you played, like, 82 games, like, whatever, during a regular season, like, I think the Warriors would be better, but I just, like, like, thinking about just their mindsets going to that game, I, like, that Bucks team is cohesive, it's hungry, it, it would be galvanized, and so would anyone who comes out of the East, for that, for the record, and this Warriors team, like, they've won three titles in four years, the other year they won 73 games, um, they they used to have this big collection of fun guys they really love playing with. Now it's just a four man team, uh, four and a half if you want to give Boogie some credit. Uh, Iguodala can kind of be himself a couple times, but I'm really concerned about him giving you thirty quality minutes game after game at this age. Livingston's done, and everyone else on their team is awful at basketball. And you know, so you've got your three four stars. They're gonna be dragging a subpar roster. You've got Boogie, who fully expects to be, you know, included as a fellow All-Star, but who really, like, I don't want to do the, like, he's never one thing, but he's never shown he can play consistent defense, and he's never shown he can succeed in a small role, and he's going to be asked to do both those things. Um, plus, like, 
he's just not really someone I want being my fifth best player in a lot of respects. Um, I just think that team is a powder keg of like, I mean, Curry's like way too level headed and Clay's way too level headed, but like the Durant, Draymond, Boogie trio, there's a lot of bad energy there right now. Yeah. Um, I think they're all just kind of, I think that team needs to be shaken up. I think Kevin needs to go and I think they're just kind of in a bad spot, like vibe wise. I mean, they lost the fucking Suns last night. Yep. Yeah. No, that, that. All correct, and I, th- I Plus, think Milwaukee uh, would have home court. Not that their home court is good, but but I think that also something that I would point out with Milwaukee is that they have never won a playoff series. Like they they couldn't get past Boston in the first round. So basically, what you're asking them to do is for the first time win four playoff series, not yeah. just one. So but like look at look at the Warriors in 2015. I think that they had won. They had won. They'd been to the playoffs three times and won one series. Yeah, and I think that the series that they won didn't they beat the Spurs or no? They lost the Spurs. They beat the Nuggets in six. It yeah. was that Ty Lawson Nuggets team. Yeah, so not not a huge blooding, but yeah, no. So I, I I and don't get me wrong. I think that they will be in that finals, and I think they'll give them the fight of their lives. And I think if you're if you're you're really onto something because if it goes bad, like if if they lose a close one, and like. You know, Draymond makes a selfish play, or like Boogie makes a selfish play, and pass. You know, they both pass up a wide open KD for a game winning shot. That's you know a fucking nuclear explosion in the in the locker room afterwards, and like that could sink the ship. So like that's that's very real. But what's on the other side of that coin? I still, yeah, I just I I I still believe that like the talent that they have. And the fit, just the pure basketball fit of these pieces together is good enough that they can, um, that they can escape. And like, also what the, what the Warriors haven't even fully realized, haven't really fully dialed into yet is the capacity of, of certain players to become like bench, bench unit captains and, and killers of the other team's uh, number twos. So like they played with it with KD a little bit, they've done it with Boogie a little bit, but I think that in the playoffs what we might see a lot of is like Boogie just coming in and getting a lot of time or like Boogie and Clay getting a lot of time against the opposing team's bench and really eating them alive. So I, so first thing I want to bring up, yeah, I know you got to go two quick points. One is the Warriors are the worst defensive team they've been in years. Um, so really since Kurt took over right now, they are the 13th best defense in the league. The, in 2015, they were the best defense, and in the other title years, they were at least you know kind of top ten, top really top five. And then last year, they kind of lazed through as like a top ten team, and then flipped it on the playoffs. Boogie's a full on issue on defense. That kid's gonna get picked on the entire playoffs to the point where I don't know if he's playable. And then um, the other point I wanted to make quickly is that Golden State just spots quarters and games to people. Last year, they just kind of bailed themselves out. They came back in Game 6 and 7 against the Rockets. I think asking them to do that against what's going to be a better team in the Bucks than that when they're more checked out than they were last year and have more defensive liabilities, I just don't see it happening. Anyway, we got to wrap. Nick, thank you for coming on. Pleasure's all mine. Glad to be back. Um, good to have you. Good amount of NBA content uh, this week, um, or this past couple days. So, yeah, who knows when I'll record next. I don't. Thank you.